Turn with me tonight to Hebrews chapter 13. We've been on the subject of uh, living free of covetousness without covetousness. And I know that at first listen, that might not sound too appealing to you, but it's a good thing. If it's in the word, it's a very good thing. And uh, the verse that's not your favorite verse is the one that you just don't know much about or you're not doing. But uh, we have a great desire to not just be Bible thumpers and tape players, but be actual uh, doers, doers of the word. Hebrews 13 and 5 has been our main text for these weeks. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, he tells us that our conversation, which means our manner of life, the way we live, should be without covetousness. That means we, our whole life should be completely free of covetousness. Not even a little bit of the junk do we need. We need to be, have zero tolerance for covetousness in our life. Don't get to judging somebody else and tell them, well, you just covetous. That's your problem. Well, no, no, turn that thing around. <laughs> Deal with yourself. And the reason I say that is because as we go, you will see covetousness. You'll see it more and more, and you won't just see it in you. You'll see it in other people, but you're not their judge. You're to judge yourself and walk in patience and love with other folks. You've got a lot of people who have that turned around, don't they? Man, they have the utmost patience with their own mistakes. Oh, yeah, let's be merciful to me and give me 900,000 more chances. Yes. But somebody else, oh, no, we've got to call them on it. And they've got to be judged. No, no, turn it around. You know, judge yourself. Be harsh with yourself and judge yourself. Don't let yourself off the hook. Don't make any excuses for yourself. But other people... Give them, as we say, the phrase, the benefit of the doubt. What that means is you don't know their heart. You don't know where they were coming from. You know about you. You don't know about them. So give them every opportunity to have some reason and be gracious and merciful with other people. But with yourself, judge yourself. Did you hear that? Judge, call yourself on it. Say, boy, that's sin. Ain't no excuse for it. You bow your knee and repent right now. I mean, you're stern with yourself, but you're very kind and long-suffering and gracious with other people. Now, he said, let your conversation be without, completely without covetousness. Now, what is covetousness? We've studied it before and looked at it. Uh, one definition is to desire something or somebody, anything, just to desire To delight in, to long for, one says to crave, to sigh for. What would that mean? You look at it and you go, what does that mean? You want it. As we'd say, you want it bad. Is that okay? 
it can be very much not okay. Especially if it's something you're not supposed to have. Can you, born again, blood washed, spirit filled, name in the Lamb's book of life, child of God, want something they're not supposed to have? Yeah, you can. And so that is covetousness. Now the Bible talks about covet earnestly the best gifts. Are there some things that it's okay to long for and really, really, really want? Yeah. The good things of God. His word, his plan, his will. I mean, you can just covet after that all day long and that's good. Oh, I want to have more of the manifestation of the Spirit of God. I want to grow in the faith and love of God. I want God to be more real to me. I want to know about God. God, I got to have you. That's good. Good. But there's some other things you can get your eyes on and get to thinking about and get to wanting that's absolutely evil. And that's what he's talking about when he says your life should be completely without any of this kind of covetousness. Turn with me this evening to uh, the Old Testament scriptures we've already looked at, but I want to emphasize another part of them. We saw in uh, Exodus, let me make sure I get them right here. We were in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus. So you can be finding Deuteronomy 5 while I locate this other one for you. Deuteronomy 5, 21. These are what we call the Ten Commandments. How many know the Ten Commandments, even though they're in the Old Testament? They are the Word of God. The unchanging, perfect Word of God. If it was wrong to lie then, it's still wrong to lie. If it was wrong to worship any other God then, it's still just as wrong. I mean, none of that's changed. And uh, notice this, that he said the last one, the tenth one, verse 21, Neither shall thou desire your neighbor's wife... That mean husband too. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's house. Now see, one time he uses the word desire. Next time he uses the word covet. Why? Because they're very similar. That's what we've already seen. That to covet something is to long after it, to desire it. And he tells them, you are not to desire your neighbor's wife. You're not to covet or desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. If it is theirs, what do you know about it? (laughs) If it's theirs, it's not yours. And if it's theirs, if it's not yours, it's theirs. You're not supposed to want it. People say, yeah, but I do. Don't act like you don't have any control over yourself. Now, get this. If God tells you, don't desire their stuff, can you keep yourself from desiring their stuff? You must be able to. Or he wouldn't have. Notice he didn't say, try not to. 
It's one thing I really don't care for some of these modern translations. They just take entirely too much liberty with the word of God. The Lord never told you to try to do anything. Because that would imply you might not be able to do it. Well, wouldn't he know whether you could do it or not before he told you? If you might not be able to do it, he wouldn't have told you to do it. But the very fact that he told you to do it proves beyond any question it can be done. Well, he didn't suggest. He commanded. This is one of the Ten Commandments. He commanded us not to desire and long after anybody else's stuff. Are you with me on this now? Man, this is so important. This is so important. Don't raise your hand. Don't want any testimonies on this. But have you ever gotten your eyes on somebody else's stuff? Whether you knew them or whether you didn't. You got your eyes on it and you got to thinking about it and how maybe you'd like to have it. And is it okay to entertain that for five minutes? It is not okay. And why would you need to? There's more than one house in the world. There's more than one car in the world. There's more than one man or woman. I'm talking about if you don't have a spouse. You don't have to get your eyes on somebody else's wife. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm already married and the thrill is gone. And my wife and I are not in love anymore. And I'm in love with so-and-so's wife. And it just happened. It was bigger than both of us. You can't help who you fall in love with. Oh, yeah, you can. And here's something people don't understand. You can fall in love with people you should have never even spent any time with. And the emotions are real. But the whole thing is wrong. And it can't work. You can try it. You can, you know, make a big mess out of two families and you can mess yourself up. But if God's not in it. If he's not helping you, if he's not pleased with you, if his blessing is not on the union, what kind of union is it going to be? Now, I want want you to turn right over to Exodus. Let's read that right now. Is anybody confused about this not desiring other people's stuff? Are you clear on that? Let me go over it again real slow. If it belongs... To somebody else. It's not yours. And you're not supposed to even think about. It being yours. Ever. A thought may cross your mind. A feeling may come across your soul. And you might be tempted. To desire it. But if you know the truth. What do you do? You jump on it with both feet. Immediately. And said no I refuse. I refuse to even contemplate. I will not imagine it. I will not think about it. And I certainly won't talk about it. It's sin. It's wrong. It's not mine. It's theirs. 
And I will not covet their husband, their wife, their life, their job, their position, their house, their place, their anything. If they got something good, I'm glad for them. And I don't have to covet their stuff, their used stuff. God will give me brand new stuff of my own. Where are you? Exodus 20 is the Exodus account of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And it's worded a little bit different way here. Exodus 20 and 17. You shall not. Could you say it any stronger? No suggestion, no try, no do the best you can. This is a commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Not anything. I don't care if it's a diamond ring or a pocketbook or a pair of shoes or a dress or nothing. No thing that anybody else has do you let yourself desire. Ever. That's how you live a life without covetousness. Now listen to this. This translation of this uh, Exodus 20. The living says, Exodus 20, verse 17, you must not be envious of your neighbor's house or want to sleep with his wife or want to own his slaves, oxen, donkeys, or anything else he has. Did you hear that, the way that was worded? You must not be what? envious. Now if you're going to talk about covetousness, you have to talk about this. Envy. Because that's what it's tied to. Envy. When somebody is envying somebody else, it's because they want something. They have. They want to be in their place. They want to do what they're doing. They want to have what they have, whatever it might be. And as we go on, I'm believing the Lord for utterance. I trust you believing with me. But you'll see as you study the scripture that envy is one of the most evil things on the planet. It is a part of the very nature of Satan himself. And envy is one of the most, why should I say it, one of the strong motivators Of the greatest cruelty on the planet. Some of the most horrible things that humans have done to each other. Despicable and cruel. Inhuman things that people have done to each other. That was the motivator. Envy. Now, uh, he said you must not be envious Of your neighbor's house. You know uh, that's one of the big problems. That some folk have with us. People that believe in prosperity. Do you know it? 
One thing, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, What is envy? Let me define it for you from the word and from the definitions. If you look up the Hebrew and Greek words, one says envy is the feeling of displeasure in witnessing and hearing about the advantage or prosperity of others. The feeling of displeasure. Now actually the word also means to burn. To burn. And you'll find connected with envy is intense anger. Anger and hatred and envy. It goes together. Over what though? What is this person burning and feeling pain and so aggravated about At the advantage and prosperity of another. Now is that devilish or what? As believers, we're supposed to rejoice with them that rejoice. If our brother does better than us, he's part of us. It's like us doing it. That's God's perspective. That's love's perspective perspective the opposite of love selfishness and hate the one definition says to be intensely red (laughs) what does that mean it's like somebody's going to blow a fuse I've seen people that that was happening in them and they're trying to hide it at the same time (laughs) When something happened to somebody that was close to them and it was, you know, way better than what they had experienced or done or had and and they wanted to share it with them and they went, glory to God, you know, look what I got. Look what happened to me. Uh, Look what, you know, I'm able to do. And they're like, oh, that's great. (laughs) That's just wonderful. It's just choking them. Why? Because they wanted it. They wanted it for themselves. And they would be perfectly willing for you to do without if I could have it. That's devilish. That's ungodly. That is completely contrary to the law of Christ. I mean, he took our sins. He took the punishment. He took the curse so we wouldn't have to. So we could have everything. That's the Christian, the one that's like him. To be intensely read, it has the idea of a strong competitive sense and spirit of rivalry. Now, you know, a lot of people brag on how competitive they are and don't realize that they're telling off on themselves. I'm going to say, well, I'm competitive, and that's a good thing. Well, it's a good thing to give it your all. But in a sporting contest or any other kind of sales contest or anything else, where you really would shine as a Christian is how you take not being top dog. How gracious you are in conceding that somebody did better than you did in spite of your best effort. Did you hear me? 
any sinner can get huffy and not talk to somebody. And I've seen Christians do it. Just act like a child. And explain it away. Well, I'm just competitive. That's just my nature. Well, no, you're just carnal. (laughs) Carnal. No. This competitiveness. You know, that's one thing I detest that I have seen in the ministry with churches, ministries, ministers. One fella actually told another preacher, I won't call any names, but he told the other guy, he asked him, why did he do certain things to hurt him? And this is what the guy said. He said, well, you know, we're all after that same Christian dollar. That's, what do you, how do you find words for that? That's, it's ignorant. It's completely ungodlike. And it's a lie. I said, it's a lie. There ain't no truth to it. But you see people that's so afraid. Somebody might get some of my people. So afraid. And it makes fools out of pastors and ministers because they watch everything that they preach because they're scared it might offend somebody and I might lose somebody. And if they hear somebody else is preaching something, they try to jump on that. And if somebody else did something, they try to do what they did so that we got the latest, greatest, and nobody is uh, ahead of us so we might lose somebody. Not being led by the Holy Ghost. Politics and keeping up with the Jones. Well, as you might can tell, I haven't been burdened by that. (laughs) And I don't intend to start. It's a path that just spirals down. I want to help people. And if I can salvage and restore a relationship, man, I'll do what I need to do. I have done it. I've crossed continents. I've stayed up all night. I've spent money. But I'm not going to chase somebody to try to maintain a popularity contest. And if somebody refuses the word and refuses to obey what the Lord's telling them to do, I'm not going to compromise it and try to make it okay so they'll stay. If that's the case, then I am misrepresenting the Lord. I'm not representing him. No, we ought not do that. But this... All of this has to do with envy, this bitter rivalry, this constant competition. We ought to be enjoying each other. We're not enemies. We're all on the same side. All of us. Your brother's victory is your victory. Your sister's promotion is your promotion. He said, you must not be envious Of your neighbor's house. Or anything that he has. Here's something that you might not have noted. Jealousy and envy are not the same. There's different words used for them in the scripture. And uh, Vines talks about this. And I think it's a good distinction. Uh, Dr. Vines said. The distinction between jealousy and envy. Lies in this. Jealousy desires to have the same or same sort of thing for itself. 
that another has. It wants the same thing. Envy desires to deprive the other person of what they have. Not only do you want it, but if I can't have it, you won't have it either. Now, if you think about it, how many murder cases have you heard of that that was some of their very words? Husbands and wives, maybe she was leaving him for somebody else. He said, if I can't have you, ain't nobody going to have you. Shot her dead or she shot him dead. I mean, that kind of, that's why I say that kind of stuff, this envy is some of the ugliest, cruelest, devilish stuff on the planet. And no sooner had God created man and woman and put them in the garden till it showed up. You remember? With Cain and Abel. Go back there. Let's remind ourselves of it. Back to Genesis. Say it out loud while you're turning. I can live, I can live a, life a life without covetousness. Without any envy. Without desiring anyone's anything. I can. And I will. Amen. Genesis, the fourth chapter. There's only, I don't know, four or five, half a dozen people on the planet at this time. Worldwide. World. Planet Earth. Population. Six. Or maybe four, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I'm just saying Eve could have had another baby or a young one. I don't know. But a handful, six. And you know the story that uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 4, Genesis 4, 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep. He had some fine sheep too. You remember that? I mean... Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. Nothing wrong with being a farmer as opposed to being a shepherd. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. No description. He just brought something. And there's a reason why the Bible says it that way. He just brought something. Is it okay when you come to the Lord? And you just bring something. It's offering time. Here comes the plate. You hadn't thought about it. You got a quarter. Here we go. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Somebody said, well, then I won't put it in next time. Don't. We spent months, if you were here, on the topic of the subject, the offerings of the Lord. And you don't just do something. It won't be accepted of the Lord. Your heart's got to be in it. Your faith's got to be in it. And you got to get your eyes off of giving to the church. It's giving to the Lord. It's a different thing. The church, the ministry, the people might have received it. But in your heart, you're giving it to Him. To Him. The Bible says here, men that die receive it. But there, He receives it. Of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Does Jesus watch the offering? 
Now, don't get concerned. We've already received the offering. (laughs) Not getting ready to make a big pull. Jesus used to watch the offering. Remember, he stood by and watched. He's standing by the plate where he could see what they put in. And he's just standing there watching. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I didn't write that. That's the Bible. He watched how much everybody put in. And when the widow came and put in just the two mites, he stopped and said, that's the biggest offering today. (laughs) Well, it wasn't amount-wise, but it was percentage-wise. So he doesn't just look at amounts. But he does look at what you give and what you don't. He looks at the heart, and percentage reveals the heart. That's why people who try to fuss and argue about tithing, they ain't got a tithing problem. They got heart problems. I don't want to see how little I can get by in giving. I'd like to be given 90% and living off the 10. And if you don't have some of that in your heart, you need to get some things changed. Well... (laughs) Some folk didn't know if they liked that or not. Don't make it an issue between me and you. Get in the book. Get in the book. Cain brought his off. Just said he brought something from his fruit of the ground. And Abel, he also brought. But now it gives one, two, three, four more lines about Abel's offering. You said Cain brought something. Abel brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat. Thereof he brought fluffy. (laughs) Fluffy. Fluffy was on the sheep quarterly front cover. (laughs) Fluffy had a whole wall in the barn full of ribbons. Fluffy was whatever she aspired to be. And when it come offering time, he went out and he looked around. This is his profession. This is his livelihood. This is his increase. He said, what can I bring to the Lord? It's offering time. And he saw Juju and Juju's a good sheep. Strong. But got one ear a little bigger than the other one. And foo-foo, foo-foo's a good sheep. And boo-boo and And he looked around and they were all good sheep. And then he realized Fluffy. Fluffy's the best. Fluffy is the best I've got. And he didn't now get this. This is where people mess up and they go, Well, I'll just have to sacrifice. No, your offering's already disqualified. That's not okay. When he thought, I know, I'm Fluffy, he thought, oh, glory to God. God's going to like Fluffy. <laughs> he got so excited, he had Fluffy double shampooed and curled. <laughs> he brought Fluffy out. And he offered Fluffy to God. He said, look at this one, Lord. And Cain just came and 
throwed some carrots up there. (laughs) And said, here's your offering, Lord. Everything is always about the heart. Always. It ain't just what you see and hear. It is not just what you did or didn't do. It's always about the heart. God saw the heart, both of these men. And the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering. But to Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Does the Lord receive all offerings and respect? No, he does not. And Cain was what? He was what? Would that sound like intensely read? We just got through reading. Did his temper just... Huh? He was very wroth. That means he's in a rage over this thing. Over what? He's in a rage over what? Over Fluffy. Nobody told him what to give. Nothing is said about his brother antagonizing him or trying to flaunt anything in his face or anything. This is just what he wanted to give. But when it came down to it and God knew his heart. And when Abel brought Fluffy and God received it and was pleased. And Cain threw his carrots up there and the Lord said, Mm-mm, I don't respect that. What's it time to do? What's it time for uh, Cain to do? It's time for him to repent. He knew in his heart. He knew in his heart before he ever brought that stuff. That he wasn't even making an effort and his heart wasn't right. He knew it. But he came and threw that stuff up there. It's probably stuff he didn't want. How many understand there was a good reason why the Lord was displeased with this? The Lord is fair. This man did not make a real effort with his heart and God not receive it. God's good. God's fair. This man disrespected God. He came and throwed some junk up there and some wilted stuff or whatever. He kept the best. He just went through the formality. Threw something up there. God said, I don't receive that. I don't respect that. And Cain got so mad. And what's the first thing he did? He got so mad. Now, God's talking to him. But what does he do? He gets so mad and he looks at Abel. It's your fault. If you hadn't brought that stinking fluffy up here. See, it showed him up. Abel's love for God showed up his lack of love for God. Abel's faith and willingness to give his best showed up Cain's selfishness. Well, it's time for Cain to repent. But you don't have to repent. What else could you do? You can get mad. And you can go back to the house. See, what's for supper? Mutton. I ain't eating no mutton as long as I live. Heard you and Abel went and brought the Lord up. Don't talk to me about offerings either. Don't mention that name around me. What name? That's his brother. 
Remember, earth, population, four, five. See, you understand what I'm saying? How many other people he's got in his life? This is his brother. He got so mad. And so he sat around. Now, the moment you refuse to repent, the enemy is going to come right to you. This is his open door. The Bible says the wrath and the anger of a man does not work the rightness, righteousness of God. What does it work? It works the wrongness and twisted and evil of the devil. He's fuming. He went home. He stomped. And the enemy came and said, Abel's been your problem all your life. You know, mom and daddy's always liked him better. (laughs) You ever heard stuff is that? Who is that? It's the lying, deceiving devil. Yeah, he's always like, you see how he come in there and snubbed you? All he probably did was say, hi. (laughs) But see, when you're in that frame of mind, everything is skewed. You turn a hi, how are you, into a, they were snubbing me. I saw it. Well, what'd they say? Hi. <laughs> hi? Yeah, but it's how they said it. And I saw that look in their eye. What kind of look? I just, I knew what it was. No, you're messed up. Ain't got enough sense to know it. Now, here's the serious thing. The Lord said to Cain, why are you wroth? When God says, why are you so mad? What should you say? What should you begin to think? Why am I so mad? What have I got to be mad and upset about? And why is your countenance fallen? See, he is multiple things going on in this man. He's mad and he's also hurt. God didn't receive his offering. God don't like me. But he sure likes precious little Abel. Oh, he likes him. Now, what's really the underlying thing of this? He wants what Abel has. He wants that acceptance and approval of God. But is not man enough and honest enough. To go about getting it the right way. Unwilling to make the changes. Envy is dishonest. Envy is a liar. And it will always use some pretext to fight about. That is not the real deal. Are you all with me? It will be something else. That they're supposedly mad about. It'll be something else they're supposedly screaming and carrying on about. But that ain't the real deal. The real deal is they want something you got. Abel has done him no harm. Abel didn't ask him for anything. Abel didn't take anything from him. Abel didn't tell him what he could or couldn't do. Abel, no indication that Abel's made fun of him or mocked him or done anything with him. Abel just loved God and wanted to give Fluffy. Now, you know the story. He killed his own brother. Murdered him. The implications are that he, before it was over with, he cut his throat. 
He killed him. How many people on the planet? Four? Five? Six? We don't know, but how many brothers does he have? We only have record of one right now. And he kills, he murders, premeditated, cold-blooded murders his only brother that he used to play trucks with out in the sand and eat pears with and swing climb trees with and murdered his only brother. Over what? Over what? Because Abel loved God and wanted to give him Fluffy. That's what he killed him over. Over an offering. Now, I say that because you can begin to see why you and me have taken some flack over this prosperity message. Because God is blessing us. Isn't he? He's blessing us. And it's not because we're so perfect and because we know everything and because we've always done everything right or because we're you know, better than anybody else. It's because we've simply done at least a few things he said to do. But there's other people that, boy, it rubs them the wrong way. It makes them mad. Why does it make them so mad? Because they want it. They wouldn't say it. They'd never say it. You couldn't get them to say it. But they want what you've got or what we've got. They want to do what you're doing. They want to have what you have. But they wouldn't admit that for anything. So what they'll do is they'll try to argue with you about your doctrine. Did you hear me? Or some other subterfuge, some other pretext. And oh, they'll get fighting mad and blaring and scream and accuse you of this and that. But it's not about any of that. It's because you gave Fluffy and received a harvest. How many remember what the Lord said when he told that rich young ruler to sell what he had and liquidate and sow it into people's lives and come follow him? And uh, the disciples said, we've left everything. What about us? And he said, I want you to know verily, there's not a man, there's not anybody that has left things for the kingdom of God's sake and my sake, but what he'll receive now in this time, in this life, a hundredfold with persecutions. Why would you get the persecutions? Because you reaped a hundredfold. Envy. And here's the problem. People want what you're getting, but are unwilling to do what you're doing. Hmm? So what are they going to do? If they're unwilling to do it. If they're unwilling to believe what you believe. And do what you do. What else can they do? <laughs> well. They're going to blame you for it. They're going to blame you. It's your fault. It's those charismatics. It's those word and faith. Those name it and claim it. And blab it grab it. <laughs> now you're laughing. But I, I, have, I have seen it. People that got so mad at me and other people like me. You know why? They saw I'm doing well. Now hold on. Hear the rest of it. And they are struggling. But rather than admit 
that they need to change some stuff they're doing. Start tithing. Start sowing. Start confessing. Start believing God. They want to get their eye on me and go, he's getting my money. He's getting my money. Where did my partners go? I bet you they wouldn't signed up for more life ministries. He's getting my money. Now the reason I say that, how did Cain get worked up to where he could cut his only brother's throat? He listened to the lies of the devil and fumed and fumed and fumed until he began to believe his own lies that Abel was his problem. Abel was getting the attention he should be getting. Abel was getting God's favor. If Abel wasn't around, everything would be okay. Where did that thought come from? If Abel wasn't around, Abel's my problem. I know it sounds bizarre, but I've had people that hardly knew me decided I was their problem. I was holding up everything good in their life. How? I have no idea. But they became convinced. I was in their way. If I wasn't around, they could do this. And if I wasn't doing what I was doing, they could do what they needed to do. It's a great big planet. (laughs) There's a lot of places to go. And there's a whole lot of people need saving and ministering to. Why would you get your eyes on somebody? And think, well, that's why I can't obey God. Is because they in my way. And then the devil will tell you, well, you need to get them out of your way. How could I do that? Well, he has some plans. And there's some of the most cruel, devilish stuff that people have done, stabbing each other in the back, out of this thing called envy. And what is it? Why am I talking about it? Because it's covetousness. It's wanting what they have. And willing to do anything, no matter what it costs them, to get it. Now notice what the Lord said to him. Cain, why are you so mad? Why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? You're all depressed and dejected. Notice what he went on to say. If you do well, shall you not be accepted? What's he telling the man? This is God talking now. God's the one that just a while ago, a while back, he said, I don't like that offering. I'm not accepting that offering from you. But what's he telling him right now? If you'll do well, what? What did he say? Shall you not be accepted? That was the whole thing. He didn't accept his offering. But he's telling him, all you got to do, Cain, is make some adjustments here. I'll accept your offering. I bless you. Basically all he had to do is what he already knew in his heart. He knew when he brought that junk in that it wasn't right. He knew it. And he knows in his heart. If he'll admit it. But here's the problem. Unwilling. To change. He said. God. Now. This ain't Brother Keith or some preacher talking to you. God. God himself says, Cain, 
Of course, you know how many people's on the planet. There are not too many people he could talk to on the planet. He said, Cain, why are you so mad? Why are you so dejected and depressed? Listen, Cain, if you'll do good, I will accept you. Then why have we got a major problem here? Why? Repent. Go back to the house. Get a good offering. Get your heart right. Come on in here and bring it before me. I want to accept you. Can you hear his heart? I want to bless you. I want to help you. Come on. Go get it right. Come back. But he wouldn't do it. He's going to hold on to his anger in front of God. Now get this picture. God's talking to the man. And what's he doing? He's just standing there fuming. And all he can think about is what? Abel. That stinking Abel. If he hadn't have brought that sheep. And that ain't the first time. It's always Abel this. Abel that. Abel. I'm sick of Abel. The devil said your life's going to always be that way. As long as he's around, it's always going to be like this. You know how bad you feel right now? I know what, I can't stand it. As long as he's around, you're going to feel that way. You see how he works? And it's a complete lie. Abel's done nothing but love God. Can you see it? Now, here's what he went on to say, though. If you do well, shall you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is lying. One translation says crouching at the door. He said sin is right here. But we know the sin of murder, among other things, was right there at the door. And he said, and unto you shall be his desire and you shall rule over him. Now, it helps you to read that in some other translations. One says it like this. Sin, the, in the English version says, if you, excuse me, I'll read the NIV first. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. The English says, it wants to rule you. But you must overcome it. Now we studied last week about your desires. And you know that there were people whose God is their belly. Their desires rule them. They live. Their life is completely controlled for the next fix. For the next sexual partner. For the next money they can get a hold of. Their appetites. Their desires rule their life. But with the man of God and the woman of God, it's the opposite. That desire and that sin, that covetousness does not rule over us. We rule that desire. We master that desire. Could Cain have gotten a hold of himself while God was talking to him? Could he? Could he, even though he still had all those feelings, could he have bowed his knee before the Lord and said, You're right. You are right. You are right. Abel's my brother. He's never done anything to me. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. Teach me how to give a right offering, Lord. I repent. 
What would have happened? God would have taught him. Him and his brother could have been sitting at the table eating and having a good time that evening. Is that right? But he didn't. What did the very next verse say? Cain talked with Abel, his brother. He went to talk to him. Not really. He went to kill him. And it came to pass when they were in the field. How many understand there was nothing Abel could have said? He hadn't done anything wrong to the man. There was nothing Abel could have said. Nothing. There's no reasoning with envy. There's no logic. There's no appealing to what's right with envy. Is this okay tonight? I'm taking some time, but this is an important deal. Can you bear with me for a while? Came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he slew him. Killed him. The first murder. Motivated by envy. Done in rage and hatred. Done over an offering. Now the reason I wanted to go into that so much is because of the envy side. I want a clear, clear picture of it in our mind. How it works. And I I desire that you and I despise this. Right? Because this is what God is saying. Your life is to be completely without any of this. But you got flesh. And you don't know everything. And you're growing and developing. And there will be situations in life. Where there's something that you really thought you wanted. And somebody else gets it. There will be. Has there ever been? No. And there could be again. But just having the feelings doesn't make you a murderer. Having the thoughts, the suggestions, the feelings come to you doesn't make you a sinner. What's the big issue though? The moment it comes, you got to decide, what am I going to do with this? And I trust that the word will come roaring up in your spirit. You shall not covet. You shall not desire. You shall not be envious about your neighbor's anything. You're glad they got it. Here's the thing. Here's the wonderful thing about faith. You don't have to feel that way. You can do it by faith. You don't have to feel that way. You can have all kind of feelings. Feelings are not who you are. It's what you have. And they change. Have you noticed how quickly feelings change? They change with the barometer and the thermometer. Don't. Don't be moved. I don't care. Maybe the feelings are all there, but you can just bite your lip and you can cast them aside and you can say, I, I don't care. I am glad. Your thoughts might say, no, you're not. Look at you. No, I choose to be. I can will to do whatever I decide. And I will to and I choose to. And that's how it is. I'm glad about it. I'm glad they got it. And that's the end of it. I'm happy for them. And I'm not just saying it. I choose to be happy for them. 
And the more you keep saying it, the more real it'll become in you. And you know what you just did? You just qualified, not for the same. You just qualified for better. I've seen it again and again. You just qualified for better. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory be to God. Go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13 and Titus 3, please. 1 Corinthians 13, Titus 3. Envy is such a terrible thing. While you're turning there, let me read some of these scriptures to you. Proverbs says, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rottens the bones. Oh, it's ugly stuff. Say it out loud, I refuse refuse to have any envy in me. me. I refuse to. to. And remember, it's not based on what you feel. Just because you feel a certain way does not mean you have to go, well, I'm just envious. That's how I feel. No, you got the feelings, but you can resist them. And out of your spirit, you said, nope, I refuse to. Did you know that it was because of envy that they sold Joseph into slavery? Remember that? Did you know that it was because of envy that they killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know it? The Bible said Pilate himself knew it. That the rulers had delivered him up because of envy. That's what Matthew says. That's why they crucified the Lord. Of course, God had a bigger plan, but as far as they were concerned, that's why they did it. Now, what was their pretext? What'd they say? He claims to be the Son of God. That's blasphemy. See, doctrine. But was that really the deal? That wasn't a deal. What was the real deal? His crowds were bigger than theirs. He was respected. The people loved him. He got miracles and they didn't know how. That was the real deal. You know, on one occasion in the book of Acts, it is so, it actually uses the word envy. And it is so clear, Paul and some of his company get to town and they preach the gospel. And I'm telling you, everybody thinks it's wonderful. They're so excited about it. And the Bible says the next Sabbath day, Almost the whole city came to the meeting. Well, word got around. And almost the whole city came to hear Paul. And immediately, the people that liked it last Sabbath day, they're sitting up there going, I don't agree with that. No, I don't agree with that either. Why? Because they changed their doctrine since a week ago. No, it's because of the big crowd. Because of envy, the Bible says they begin to contradict what Paul was saying and argue with him. Did you hear what we're saying? Envy always has a pretext, subterfuge. It's always, you know, arguing about this, but that ain't it. The real deal is they want what you got. And they don't want to admit that. So what do we do? We just cause you problems if I can't have it 
You ain't going to have it either. I'm going to see to it. I was talking to Brother Kenneth Copeland one time. He's talking about this fellow that told him, preacher now. He said, uh, he said, it just tickled me to see that Copeland go down. What do you mean? Go under financially. Why? Well, he tried to say, because all this error he preaches on prosperity. He ain't got a doctrine problem. You know what I'm talking People's claim, oh, it's doctrine, it's doctrine, it's doctrine. The reason I brought that up, those guys had no doctrine problem with Paul a week before the big crowd. And he didn't change what he's preaching. Uh, where are you? And Titus, go to Titus first. We'll just turn right back over there. Are we done or we need another point? Hmm? I thought we were about done, but I think you could use another point. So this was the last point. So put that on hold. And go over to Second uh, Peter 2. What do you do if somebody is envious of you? Hmm? I'm going to tell you at the end. <laughs> Second Peter 2, are you there? Thank you, Lord. Second Peter 2 and verse 12. He said, These as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. Now what is that? What's adultery? Covetousness. And that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart have they exercised with covetous practices? When you exercise at something, you develop in it. Now here we see a description of exercising in covetousness. You know, the Proverbs talk about that the slothful man does nothing, but he covets all day long and has nothing. The hand of the diligent makes rich and fat. But the slothful, the lazy person, lays around in the bed and won't work and won't do anything. So what do they do with all their idle time? They covet. They long for this. Oh, I want a Ferrari. Oh, I want a mansion. And watch TV. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. And movies where they have this vacation home in the Alps and and they're driving a Beamer and they got a Hummer and they got a Rolls and they drive the Rolls out to the tarmac and get on the Gulf Stream and fly to Hawaii and they're sitting there going, ah, but refuse to work and covet, all covet. Covet, covet, 
long for, desire, want, want, want. And then if somebody close around them has stuff that they want, they get to looking at them. So that's one reason you got so much crime in certain parts and certain areas because people are not working. And all they're doing all day is laying. They're not in the Word. They're not praying. They're not fellowshipping with believers. So what are they doing? They're thinking about how miserable they are because they don't have what they want. And then they see somebody that's got it. And they decide they don't deserve it. I ought to have it. And then they decide they're my problem. They're holding me down. They're keeping me back. Now I'm going to go take it. Whether it's in the street or whether it's on the 40th floor in a corporation. It's exactly the same way. Wanting something that somebody else has. We are forbidden to do so. We are commanded that we cannot, we must not, let ourselves want anything that is somebody else's. And notice what it goes on to say. They have exercised themselves with covetous practices. Cursed children which have forsaken the right way and they've gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now here we. How many understand that the Bible gives you all kind of examples. It gives you examples of faith like Abraham. And it gives you examples of covetousness like Balaam. And it says be like Abraham. Don't be like Balaam. Balaam is heralded in the New Testament as an example of co- look in the dictionary for covetousness, and Balaam's picture is there by the word. Now that's a bad thing to be known for. Him and Cain. Cain is known for envy, which is tied right to covetousness. I want to talk about Balaam just a little bit. Do you remember the story of Balaam? Hmm? Maybe not well enough. Why don't you turn back to Numbers 22 and... Let me refresh you on it. You said, Balaam who? Is he from Arkansas? No. No. Further east. Numbers 22. Now what did it say about Balaam? He loved what? What did he love? The wages, which means pay. The money. Of what? He loved it. So what's the root of all kinds of evil? Not money. The love of the money. And you can be full of love of money and not have a dime. Just dream night and day about how you can get some. How bad you want some. How much you need some. Balaam was a man who knew something about God. Balaam was a prophet. The Bible calls him a prophet. And when he sought God, God spoke to him. And he heard from God. And he had a reputation outside of his own country. That when he spoke something, it happened. 
But on this occasion, uh, Balak, Numbers 22, 4, sent messengers, verse 5, to Balaam. And he said, behold, there's a people that come out from Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. You know who he's talking about? God's people. The Israelites delivered from Egyptian bondage. He said, now uh, they're coming over against me. Now come, I pray you, and curse me, this people, for they're too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, and then we may smite them, and I'll drive them out of the land. For I what, that means I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now when the king sends for you, he's heard things, and he's checked it out, and he knows. This man's a prophet, and when he speaks, it happens. So he said, I want you to come. And I want you to curse these Israelites. Because they're coming out here and I'm afraid of them. And he had good cause to be. Because he was living on their land. And it was time for them to be dispossessed. And anyway, they came. And Balaam said, you know, I'm not going to read all of it. He said, stay here and I'll check with the Lord. And whatever he tells me, I'll tell you, you know. But give me overnight to wait on the Lord. See, this man knows something about God. And verse 9, God came to Balaam. Didn't say he thought he did. The Bible said he came. And he said, uh, who are these men? You think he didn't know? (laughs) He said, uh, Balaam. See, now I want you to get a hold of this now. God and Balaam talk. He gets before the Lord that night. He says, Lord, I want to talk to you. I need to ask you some things. He waited and he worshiped and he waited and he worshiped. And God says, hey, Balaam, yes, sir. He said, who's staying in your house? Who are these men? Now, that would have been a clue to him immediately. Should I have left these guys in the door? When God asks you, who's staying at your house? He said, uh, who, who are these men? And Balaam said, well, Balak, the king of Moab, sent them to me. And he said, there's a people come out of Egypt. They're covering the face of the earth. And I want you to come curse them for me. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. He said, don't you speak a word against them. I've already blessed them. Now, when God blesses somebody. Can a man come along behind him and take away the blessing and put a curse on him? (laughs) That'd make that man's words stronger than God's. And that ain't so. So Balaam got up in the morning and he said, "Uh, y'all going to have to go home without me. The Lord said, I can't go. And so they got up and they went back. Well, that's good. That's exactly what he should have done. But Balak sent some more folks. More and more honorable. He sent more important people. Bigger people out of his country. And they came to Balaam and they said. Balak says. Don't let anything hinder you from coming to me. I will promote you. To very great honor. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Remember he's king. He's got resources. He said just come and curse me these people. 
And Balaam answered and he said to the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his whole house full of silver and gold, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. Good. Good. Like a man of God, woman of God ought to say and do. Do exactly what the Lord told you. No more, no less, nothing else. He said, now therefore I pray you, stay here tonight and I'll let you know what the Lord will say to me. Why? 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 Here you begin to see. Now we read in Peter, what did it tell us about Balaam? He is held up as an example for all time of covetousness. That he loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was a man of God. That God really, no imagination he talked to him. He talked to him. He heard from God. Why tell these guys to spend the night when the last time, the first thing the Lord said to you is, who are these guys? Is God going to change his mind? Why did he do this? I'm taking some extra time, but the quicker we get it, the quicker I'll be satisfied. Why did he ask them to stay the night again? Why? Because those guys had some major jewelry on. They drove up in $150,000 Mercedes. Or white donkey. (laughs) With an emerald studded saddle. These guys are heavy hitters. That's why the king sent them. And all the while he's sitting there talking to them, he's seeing that $10,000 suit they got on and those $5,000 shoes and that $200,000 ring. And he said, why don't y'all just stay the night? <laughs> What's going on? He wants that stuff. He wants that stuff. Y'all just stay. They said, yeah, yeah, let us stay. And here, you wear this ring tonight. (laughs) And uh, and see, this is why so many Christians have gotten the idea money's wrong. And stuff is wrong. Because they've taken things like this, and that's all they know. And the love of money is root of all kinds of evil. So they've just kind of jumbled it all together and say, well, then money's evil. Well, why'd God make Abraham rich? And David and Solomon and on and on and on. No, it's not the money. It's not the stuff. What is it? The love of it. The covetousness of it. The craving it. And here's the big statement. It said Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness more than God. That was the implication, I should say. He loved it more than God. Well, that night the Lord came to him. He said, if the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. And yet the word I shall say to you, that shall you do. So he was going to use him to speak a word to this man. But he said, only if it happens this way. Well, there's no indication that Balaam waited on that. He got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he went with them. Let's go. And the Lord's anger was kindled. Why? Because Balaam, all he can see is money. 
He's all in his heart. He's already sold out. He's willing to do anything. And that's why that an angel of the Lord was standing there waiting to take him out. He had grieved God. So how many understand? If you don't know God, you don't know anything about God, and you do some stuff, that's one thing. But you a prophet of God, you've spent personal time with the Almighty, you know Him, and then you just sell out? It's serious. And his donkey saved his life. You remember that? That donkey saw that big angel with that flaming sword, and she said, Yeah, no, I'm not going that way. And ran away, and he said, what's wrong with you, you stupid donkey? And the donkey said, no, 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 I'm not going through there. There's a big angel with a sword. And he beat that donkey silly. And the donkey turned around and said, what you beating me for? <laughs> and what I find so amazing is that he just answered back. He said, because you're not going the right way, you stupid donkey. <laughs> That's amazing to me. That you wouldn't just fall off the donkey and go, oh, oh, oh. that donkey talk. He just starts talking back. He goes, because you're a stupid donkey. You won't obey me. They have a conversation. The donkey says, haven't I always been a good donkey to you? I always obeyed you. He said, I know it, but you've been stupid today and you hurt my leg back there. And they're having a conversation. Why? See, Peter says the Lord rebuked the prophet through the donkey. For what? For his covetousness. Now, the reason why, let me skip forward. If you hadn't read it and put it together, he went on there, over there and Balak pulled out the money. He said, we'll put you 10 million in this account. This palace over here, you can have that. You can have my five chariots, you know, that 150 acres of bottomland, that's yours. These 40 servants, they're yours, you know, you name it. What do you want? You want me to double it, triple it? What do you want? Name your price. And man, Balaam got dollar signs in his eyes and he meant, I'm getting this. I'm getting this. So he went, he said, bring all these sacrifices and we'll go over here. And he went over there and he put all the sacrifices and he said, God, you know, can we get you to curse these people? God's already told him the first time they came to the house. He said, no, you can't curse them. I told you I've blessed them. He said, well, well, okay, let's go over there to that hill over there and bring some sacrifices over there and we'll make offerings and we'll ask the Lord over on the east side and see what he says. The Lord said, I told you. He said, okay, all right. Well, let's go back over on the south side. There's a great big tall hill over there and bring a bunch of more bulls and goats. I'll ask him on the south side. Why does he keep inquiring of the Lord? Why? Not because he wants to know. Not because he wants to do something right. All he cares about at this point is the money. Covetousness blinds you. I don't care if you're a prophet of God. I don't care who you are. Covetousness blinds you. Finally, the Lord told him, you cannot curse whom God has blessed. And he moved on him and he prophesied. I don't think he wanted to. But he prophesied before the, in front of the king 
how that all God's people was going to lick them up like a cow licking up grass. And he said, no, 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 don't bless them. I told you to come up here and curse them. He said, well, they couldn't curse. You can't curse whom God has blessed. I don't care if 9,000 witches get together and burn candles and 400 warlocks kill roosters and draw signs and nobody can curse those God has blessed. What a lot of people have not put together though, not long after this, Balaam couldn't get this done. He could not curse him. He couldn't get his money. But he never would give up on it. He got to thinking about this and he come in day with a plan. And this is what he told the king. He said, I'll tell you how to get them cursed. He said, really? He said, yeah. Surefire way. Take the best looking women you got. And the most, you know, wildest prostitutes you can find. And the most amazing looking Moabite women. Take them down there. Get the men involved with them. Get them to sacrifice to the Moabite gods. And get them into perversion and all that. He said, it'll happen. And Balak followed the counsel of Balaam. And he did it. And a plague swept through the people. And it happened. Have you ever read read about it? Well, that comes right back to Balaam. Trying to get his money. He couldn't do it through inquiring of the Lord. But he figured out a way. Isn't that devilish? He figured out a way how to get them cursed. And he did. I just wanted to remind you of that picture of covetousness. Now in closing I think. 1 Corinthians 13. Do you still have that? What do you do rather than envy? What's in 1 Corinthians 13? Anybody know? 1 Corinthians 13, and also find Matthew 5. We'll go from one to the other, and I think we got it. You had time for this tonight, didn't you? This is what we do on Friday nights. This is what we do. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it, but I want to read it to you. It talks about the love of God. And it says love, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and is kind. What's the next phrase? Love what? Said out loud. Love envies not. Say it again. Love envies not. One more time. Love envies not. Love can't envy. By right of what it is. If I love you. How can I get mad. About you having something I want. If I love you. How can I despise you. For being more blessed than me. Because if I love you. I care about you. And what happens to you. And how you're doing. And that just makes it so wonderful. Because. It takes all the competition out. It takes all the rivalry out. And if, you know, church across town gets three times bigger and more fruitful and successful than us, we're going to shout. We're going to shout. 
Why? Because that's people in the kingdom. That's our brothers and sisters. If the man beside you gets that car you had on your list that you've been believing for, you're going to shout. Because you know it works. It worked for him. It's working for me. Yeah, I'm in the same blessing line you in. You're just a few places further up the line than me. But here I come. I'm right behind you. But I'm genuinely glad you got it. I like to see you enjoy it. Blesses me. We've talked about it before, but God has given us a charge. And part of that is that we purposely do stuff, spend money to make a big deal out of our brother and sister getting blessed. I know uh, I've told you this, but I'll tell it again. Brother uh, David Crank, who's in heaven now. His son and wife, different ones come to the meetings here frequently. But he was a friend of mine. And uh, I had been believing for a Corvette. Well, he liked them, enjoyed them. And uh, I had uh, gotten rid of all my, anything that I had that was unnecessary. It was a time when Phyllis and I really turned our priorities and we didn't eat out and we rode together in one car and we paid off debts and, and he knew I was doing that for a couple of years. And, and uh, then I was able to get my first sports car again. After I felt like I had my priorities more like they should be. And I'm putting more money into the kingdom. And seek ye first. And I was able to get. It was a used one. But it was nice. And I got it in St. Louis. And that's where he lives. He found out about it. He met me at the dealership. And his boys were there. And they're like. This is it? Yeah. Man that's beautiful. That's your car. He said you got to bring it to the house. I said, yeah. He said, boys, here. He gave him some money. He said, go run to the store and get the best wax you can get. And get the best cloths and the best cleaning supplies. Get the barn warmed up and get ready. He told his wife, he said, get some sandwiches and some stuff to drink. And we'll bring it out in trays out in the barn there. It was winter day. And he said, come on, come on. Bring your car over here. So we brought it in. <laughs> it already looked pretty good, you know. It was on the lot. And he said, let's clean it up. And, and we got out and, and I started rubbing. He said, oh, no, no. That's what I made them boys for. He said, come over here and sit down. <laughs> hey, really, there's something to that. You know, it's a shame. Elders working and young people laying around. I mean, it's twisted. And so I said, okay. And so I went and sat down and he put a big glass of iced tea and three or four sandwiches in a plate and. And we sat there, and, and he marveled about the car. He said, man, isn't that a great car? He said, look at that. Look at them wheels. Woo. He said, look at that. Oh, look at this. Man, I like that paint. Boys, you missed a spot right over there. <laughs> and them boys are rubbing and, and are sweating. And man, they, all afternoon, he just made the biggest deal out of it. It was an event. <laughs> and I'm talking to you about it tonight. Why? Because it ministered to me. It blessed me. He wasn't getting the car that day. But you'd have thought he was. I think you'd have made a bigger deal out of it with me than if it would have been his own. We ought to be doing that kind of thing for each other and people we don't even half know all the time. This I'm talking about the full opposite spectrum of envy is what? Love. Love. We're getting our houses and our buildings and our land. And when somebody in here gets their house, I mean, 40 of you ought to show up with furniture and 
stuff and food and go, whoo, look at this, look at this, look at this. Man, how roomy this is, how nice this is. Whoo, I don't care if it's a starter place. Are you with me now? I'm not talking about a bunch of flattery, false stuff. I mean genuine out of your heart. Find every good thing and bring it out and talk about it and rejoice with them and shout and once in a while grab them and go, this is your house. (laughs) We are to be encouragers of each other, rejoicers with each other, shouters with each other. Now, Matthew 5, what if it's turned around? What if we're blessed and somebody don't shout? They say ugly stuff and they find fault and they go, I wouldn't have a big old house like that. Too much to keep up with. Too much to clean. I don't know what they need with a big house like that for. I wouldn't have a car with all them doodads on, you know, because later on all that electrical stuff starts going berserk on you. That's why I got the one with the cranks on it to handle because they, uh, they always were, you liar, you liar, you liar. You know you wanted the other one. <laughs> so what do you do if somebody's doing you that way? Matthew 5, verse uh, 43, Matthew 5, 43, what do you do? He said, you've heard it. It's been said. Jesus is talking. You'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. What do you do? They talk bad about you. They curse you, cuss you, or curse you. What do you do with them? You get hurt and you go, I don't understand it. I ain't never done nothing to them. I just always been nice to them. And I don't know. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Stay. Be a man. Be a man of God, a woman of God, not a little whiny baby. They cuss you, you bless them. That's being just like the master. What else? You do good to them that hate you. That hate you? Now, there's not people that just don't enjoy being around you. They, they don't just dislike you. They hate you. What do you do? Do good to them. Help them. And then not even know who did it. Speak good about them. Help them to avoid a problem. Send them some money anonymously. Take care of something when you see them hurting. They don't have to know who did it. Or if they did, that's fine too. And what else? Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I've heard people say, well, the rain comes on the just and the unjust, like that was a bad thing. Rain's a blessing. Sunshine's a blessing. And God will let the sun shine on the meanest man in town's house, just like he will yours. Because he's good. He'll rain on a mean man's garden, 
Just like yours. Why? Because he is so good and so gracious. Hallelujah. So that's what you do when somebody envies you. But you never envy them. Stand on your feet. Close your eyes. Let me lead you in a prayer. Say it out loud. Father God. I worship you. I love your ways. I love your truth. I despise covetousness and envy. I refuse to give it any place in me, in my life, by your grace. I will be without covetousness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Lord. Praise Him a minute or two. Oh, Lord, we bless you. Oh, Lord, we praise you. Oh, Lord, we glorify you. You are so good, so good, so good. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.